0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: That didn't make me feel good at all. <laughs> I love him so much, and I, and I love the Lord today, and it's, it's awesome to be in service with you. It's good to see everybody here, and um, it's good to see some old friends, and some familiar faces. Good to see some guests that are here, and want to welcome everybody here. And I want to thank you guys. You're some of the most gracious people that I have been. I mean, you, every time I, I get an opportunity to teach, you guys have been so gracious with your, with your um, compliments, and <laughs> thank you for that. Um, if you don't mind, if I could ask you to like you do <laughs> like I do every time, I need you to pray for me, this morning if that would be okay. Um, So would you, would you stand with me and pray before we get into this lesson? I I could really use your prayers this morning, okay? Lord, I love you today, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for an opportunity, God, Lord, to teach your word. God, Lord, I pray today, God, that, Lord, you would be in this sense. God, Lord, we invite your presence here, God. Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, you would give us hearts, God, Lord, to receive your word today, God. Jesus, I pray, God, Lord Jesus, for your wisdom, God, for your discernment, God, speak to us, Jesus, as only you can. Lord Jesus, I pray your anointing power, God, and your love, God, over each and every one today, Lord, I love you, God. I thank you, Lord, in advance, God, for what you're going to do, Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you for it, Jesus. Lord, I give you praise. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so, so much. This coming Wednesday, September 19th, I will be celebrating my 25th spiritual anniversary, spiritual birthday, with cake and ice cream in the back. (laughs) I'm just, it just sounded like an announcement for a second. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> I received the Holy Ghost September 19th, 1993. When I was 13 years old. So over the past 25 years, I've basically almost become fluent in Christianese. And that's not to be offensive. So I, I pray no one gets offensive by that term. It's really just an example of it's it's a term that describes our church talk. You know, people that... We use terms or phrases that people that are not familiar with Christianity may not understand. And I'll give you some examples. Um, prayer chain. So in the church, we may say, hey, we're starting a prayer chain, and someone that's not familiar with Christianity is going to be like, what kind of chain? You know, you know, or it could be breakthrough. Does anybody here come for a breakthrough? Well, that don't make us jump, shout, and dance. But in the world, they're thinking, well, who's coming, breaking through what? You know, do I need to call 911? Um, another one would be, um, on fire. If we say, man, that preacher was on fire today, they're going to think, well, did he stop, drop, and roll? <laughs> and, um, so anybody here understand Christianese a little bit? All right, we talked that. I can remember, um, my grandma telling the story about when she received the Holy Ghost, and she said that when she was praying, she had someone on the left over telling her to let go, let go, and someone on the right of her telling her to hold on, hold on, and uh, and that's how she got the Holy Ghost, but, and I don't want to lose that, you know, I don't want to lose our church language, and I certainly don't want to infiltrate our church language, what's the language outside, but at the same time, I don't want our church language to just become cliche, and I don't want it to lose its value. You know, I think in today's world, one of the ones that we hear so mainstream anymore, you we heard it a lot this week with the hurricane is praying. You know, we praying for the Carolinas and, and not to take the sincerity of those that did. I'm, I'm not devaluing that by any means, but it becomes so mainstream. And I want someone to know that if I say I'm praying, that that's exactly what I'm doing right then at that moment. That it that does not translate to, well, if I remember halfway down the night. You know, I, I want my Christian talk to match my Christian walk. And I said that because recently I'd heard that some Christians are trying to change or eliminate some of our Christian talk and our, our terms. And, and at first I was thinking, well, okay, maybe we'll stop asking people, have you found Jesus? Because I can see that's confusing. You know, he's not lost. But that's not what they were talking about. That one of the words that got me by surprise that they wanted to change was sin. And it it surprised me, and I'm I'm glad that it did. But they said that sin, that word is offensive. And I said, I thought to myself, I said, the truth is sin is offensive. It's offensive to God. It's not just an error or a mistake or a lapse of judgment. And, you know, it can start at that. I know that's, that's a lot of times where maybe it starts. But it's a lot more serious than that. The Bible references sin hundreds of times hundreds of times, and it's because of its severity. We know that the Bible says that sin can separate us from God, and we know that sin has an eternal price tag of death, and we know the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible speaks frequently of sin because it's our fundamental problem. Everyone in here, if we have anything in common, we could say we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have that in common. It's our fundamental problem. We've all sinned. And the issue is not just that we've all sinned. The issue is if we ignore it. If we ignore it, we're going to try unsuccessfully to rely on our own selves. And it doesn't work. And that result always ends with the ultimate price tag of death. But there's good news. (laughs) Always good news, especially if I'm going to tell you something I'm going to give you the good news too. There's good news. As much emphasis as the Bible places... On sin, I'm sorry, <clears throat> it puts an even greater weight on the cure for sin. In Matthew 121, it says that we should call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In, Ma- In John 1.29, John the Baptist said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Isaiah 53 and 5, said he was pierced for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And then 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 said, he hath made him to be sin for us. He knew no sin that we may be made unto righteousness of God. So how about that? Our sins for his righteousness? Sounds like a good deal to me. Good deal to me. So our, our lesson that we've been going over this, this, this series has been um, the gift of repentance. And I, I truly believe that with all my heart. If you've ever found a place to repent, you understand the value of of that gift of repentance. There is value there. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about finding the place of repentance. And the idea is this. Like I said, we're all in the same boat. Because we all battle with temptation and sin, there's not one of us that doesn't. We all battle with temptation and sin. We have to find a place to repent. So when I start with taking a text out of Second Kings 22... A little bit of background is after King Solomon died, Israel was split into two kingdoms. And to the north, you had Israel, and then to the south, you had Judah. And in the northern kingdom of Israel, there was no righteous king since Solomon, no righteous kings. And so what happened is their kings after Solomon, each one of them were evil. Each one of them did sin. Each one of them was, um, had served idols. And so God basically for 250 years, as Brother Rayleigh had taught last week, gave him a space to repent. 250 years he'd been merciful. For 250 years he was patient. For 250 years he endured that rebellion. He gave him a space to to repent, but they neglected him. They neglected his house. They neglected his word. And so they were taken captive by the Assyrians. And that was prophesied and it was allowed by God. So in the south kingdom, Judah, their track record wasn't much different, wasn't much better. They had the same judgment that's prophesied over them. So they're going to be held captive. They're going to face judgment. But they had a few godly leaders in between some of these evil kings. And one of those leaders was one of my favorite kings was Josiah. And I love Josiah because he had a heart for God at such a young age. And he became king at eight years old. Now, his father was an evil king, so he did not follow in his father's way. But when he was a little bit older, in the middle of his, his reign, he was 19 years old, he started to take a tour of his nation, just taking account of what's going on out there. And what he found was he witnessed the spiritual climate of the country. And he witnessed idols everywhere he looked. And he witnessed people would build up places to worship these idols. And then he witnessed the temple. He witnessed the house of God. And it was in such disrepair. It was torn down, ruined. It was neglected. In that decay on the outside of that building, the disrepair, it wasn't just the physical manifestation of the building itself, but it was a reflection of what was going on in the hearts of God's people for generations. So Josiah began to destroy those pagan idols, and he started to destroy and tear down the places of worship for those idols. And then he started a restoration project on the temple. He said, we're going to make this place what it it was. It was magnificent to look on. Everybody would come and look at this, and we've just let it go. We haven't taken care of it. And one day, while they were working there at the temple, someone found a scroll, and they, they brought it to the chief priest and to the scribe. And they determined that it was the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So they brought it to Josiah. Josiah asked for it to be read. And this is where we are, and I want this scripture to share with you. It says 2 Kings 22 and 11. It says this. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. Rent his clothes. We see that phrase a few times in the Bible. And basically it means someone comes to the point to where they they tear their clothes. And what that is is the sign of repentance, It's a sign of repentance. Josiah at that place right there when he heard the word of God, he knows, hey, this is truth. I've got something to do. I have to do something. And so he repented. His choice and his response to the word of God was he found a place to repent. And after that, he sought to hear more from God. He said, I need to know what God says concerning our nation about the judgment, what's coming, what's coming. And so the prophetess, Huldah, prophesied that the Lord would, in fact, bring Destruction upon Judah, just like he had prophesied earlier, because they did forsake God and they did worship idols, but he didn't just leave it there. God said, I have a special message for Josiah. I have a special message for that king who repented. He said, verse 19 and 20 says, Because thine heart, speaking of Josiah, because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest that what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I have also heard thee, saith the Lord. And he said, Before therefore I will gather thee into thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. So he tells Josiah, Look, yeah, it's coming. And that your country will, be, will face judgment, but you won't. Because you turned to repentance, because your choice was to repent, you will never see it. You're going to die with peace. You will never see it. And had Josiah not responded so quickly and so humbly before God, judgment would have soon fallen. But his response touched the heart of God. It changed the heart of God. And then not only that, but God didn't just spare Josiah. He's, he spared his entire generation just because that man chose to repent. And I think it's awesome that repentance doesn't just change our hearts and our actions to God, but it changes his heart towards us. And when we deserved a a hefty price tag or some discipline that he, in his loving mercy, we repent, he shows us some mercy. Aren't you thankful for that gift? That's why repentance is a gift. That's why repentance is a gift. Thank God. And I'll tell you, Josiah's story isn't too much different from some of ours. I can remember who I was before I found a place of repentance. I, I was a just a naughty little preteen, just not, <laughs> not anything I'm proud of. I don't even like to say it. I don't even like to remember that girl. But um, I didn't go to church at the time, and I didn't know too much. But I can tell you, I do remember how the Lord would deal with me. And before I ever found a place of repentance, I remember that I would be in my room alone. I don't know why. (laughs) But I would have a Bible, and I would write down scriptures, and I would memorize those scriptures. And I would write them down, and I'd stick them in my backpack, and every day I went to school with a longer list every day of scriptures. God would just deal with me. He had his word there, and I would just learn it before I ever found. I didn't know too much, but I had something to start. And I remember that after I found a place of repentance, I kind of did what Josiah did and started tearing down some of the things that were in my life. I I got rid of anything that was ungodly, and and that included the New Kids on the Block posters I had on my wall. (laughs) No judgment, please. (laughs) Just go ahead and move along. Um, we we're first introduced to Saul of the, of the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. And the first time that we read about Saul, he's, he's a witness and he's an approver of Stephen's stoning. So, not a good introduction to him. The very next chapter, the Bible says that Saul is bringing havoc to the church, he's entering the homes and arresting men and women. And then again, the next chapter, in chapter 9, it says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. But then, on his way to persecute more Christians, this arrogant man was startled by a bright light and an audible voice, and it struck him blind. And God gave Saul right there on the road to Damascus a place to repent. From that point, we don't see Saul going door-to-door persecuting Christians. We see him going door-to-door preaching the gospel. And some of our stories aren't much different than Paul's, Saul's and Paul's. I I can tell you, I, I didn't know my grandpa before God filled him with the Holy Ghost. But I've heard a lot of stories. And as hard as it is for me to believe that my grandpa was a mean man, my dad told me that, he smoked and he drank, and that he loved to fight. My dad said he was a logger by day and a boxer by night. And hard to believe. <laughs> one day he asked his brother-in-law to go fishing. My dad or my grandpa loved to fish. and That's one thing I, I do remember. And I'm thankful for those memories of sitting on the dock with him. He was so patient with us. But one day he had asked his brother-in-law to go fishing with him, and Uncle Randy had, uh, he said okay. I'll go with you, but you come to church with me. And my dad said that my grandpa was always a man of his word, even before he um, had the Holy Ghost. He was a man of his word, so he went to service with his brother-in-law, and it was at a tent revival. So he went through the service, and after the service, he went home. But the conviction of God was so strong on him that he went back. He didn't wait till the next day. He didn't wait for the next service. He went home and went all the way back to that tent revival and found a place to repent, okay? Now, my dad said that everyone who knew grandpa said that it wouldn't last. That mean man, it ain't gonna last. But they were wrong. This Bible is over 40 years old, and it's the most priceless thing I have in my home when I open it up and I see his writing. This morning I opened it up and the first thing I wrote saw was what he wrote. He said, Jesus use me. He said, anywhere is home. If Jesus Christ, the Lord is there. But my grandpa pastored nearly 60 years and I knew him to be the most gentlest, patient, soft-spoken man who could give the saddest altar calls. <laughs> <laughs> tell you you know the services where everybody is just slain in the spirit you you could be slain in the spirit and you could be speaking in tongues and five minutes later grandpa's going to give an altar call and you're the vilest sinner and you're right down there that's just how he was (laughs) he could I'm telling you I remember hearing certain times my uncle buck when grandpa would give an altar he'd walk out the door he just you just couldn't take it (laughs) but that was that mean old man that it wouldn't last it did they were wrong His story is not different from many of us. That story may sound familiar to some of you. It was once said of General MacArthur, the best and the worst things you hear about him are both true. And I think that could also be said of King David. I don't really think we could teach about repentance without mentioning David at all. We know that David did some awful things. And we know that David did some wonderful things. Regardless, David is remembered as the man after God's own heart, and it wasn't so much because he was sinless, it was because he was repentant. David sinned, and like many of us, he tried to conceal it. He did, he tried to conceal it at first, and then the prophet Nathan, he confronted his sin and his selfishness, and by using a parable of injustice, and he's telling, Nathan as a prophet, he's trying to tell David the story, and he's... Can you catch on? Can you understand? And David ain't getting it. David gets angry and he's ready to to cast judgment on this person in this parable. When surprisingly, Nathan reveals, Man, you're the guilty man. You're the unjust man. That's you I'm talking about. And Nathan called David out on a sin, but it was there that David found a place to repent. And his repentance was heartfelt, his repentance was sincere. And it was in that sincere place of repentance that David penned many of his psalms. And one in particular that I pray every single day, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalms 51 and 10. Every day. And I don't want to leave either portion of that. I do want him to create in me a clean heart every single day. But I want him to renew a right spirit. I don't want to walk around with a clean heart and an ugly spirit either. Both parts of those I prayed every single day. And David's story is not much different than our own. We've all done good things. We've all done bad things. Sometimes we're tempted to overlook our sin because we think, well, you know, our good things outweigh our bad things. Some of us may try to defend it. Some try to hide it. And some dangerously become accustomed to it. I started the lesson this morning Telling you that I've had the Holy Ghost for 25 years and I'm nearly bilingual in English and Christianese. But that doesn't mean that I still don't have a need to find a place to repent. I have to, like Paul said, die daily. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a few weeks ago before this lesson series ever started, and before I knew I would even be teaching, I was at home alone. While the kids were at school, that rarely happens. But I was at home and I started to study a chapter in the Bible, Numbers chapter 20, and God confronted me with something as boldly as Nathan confronted David. And I thought, I thought you were going to come, you came close Wednesday night to preaching on it, and I got a little nervous. But you stayed in 23, I was in 20, and um, in Numbers chapter 20, as usual, the children of Israel are complaining and they were so close they were so close to the promised land it just didn't stop though the complaining just didn't stop i don't i don't understand it but between them and moses at this point in this particular chapter there was so much frustration there were so much unmet expectations I and mean, that breeds frustration there were so many pointing fingers, and it's their fault, and it's Moses, and it's, you know, so many pointing fingers. There was so much contention and, and resentment. That's what that was about in, in Numbers chapter 20. And, and really, honestly, it's a lesson for another day what I got out of it, but the Word of God convicted me so much that my exact thoughts were, I need to find a place to repent. So I prayed, obviously, immediately right there, and you know then I had to go pick the kids up, feed them and clean them and get d- dinner ready for Bobby. And, and I'd, but that day I was on the ball and I had everything done, which doesn't normal. But because I knew if I could get him home and settled and the kids taken care of, I need to go find a place to repent. And so and that's exactly what happened. I, I got him settled and I got the kids done and I left through the, I left the house and as quickly as I could drive right here, I've slowed down a little bit, so i was safe. But I couldn't make it through that door fast enough. I'm going to tell you, I buried my head right here. And this was the place that I found to repent, right there. And I'll always remember that, always. There's been several times in my life where I feel like God has called me to repent. And it's not necessarily, you may think that I'm a little bit, that might have been unnecessary. Maybe it was. You may think I'm a little bit crazy and I'll probably agree with you because it wasn't that I, you know, that I went out and killed somebody and needed to repent over something. It wasn't that, but see, I don't justify any sin in my life. And sometimes I I think sometimes we justify conditions of our heart that need to be dealt with. You know, somebody that maybe has anger problems say, hey, well, it's a good day. I didn't kill anybody. Well, that's just justifying the anger that's present. And it needs to be dealt with. And I, I knew and I recognized after studying that, that chapter that my heart was dangerously too close to being infected with frustration and resentment about a certain area in my life. And I don't want those things creeping their way into my heart. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God used this word to call me to repent. I'm thankful. I don't know of any of those examples that personally relate to you, but I want to take a, a, a second just to speak to us collectively as a church. The last living apostle was John and God used him while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos to write the very last book, the book of Revelation. And God basically tells John to write what he sees and send it to the churches. Now John has survived, I'll tell you about John survived, being boiled in oil. He's witnessed and known of hundreds of Christians that have been martyred. He's the last apostle around. His friends are gone, dead. And he's sitting in a cave alone. And I can't help but to think maybe he sat there and he said, God, if this is where I'm gonna die and I'm gonna be faithful for you, Can you please let this book of Revelation be a book of hope and comfort and encouragement? I would want that. (laughs) If I was in, in his shoes, I would want that. But that's not what he got. What he got was a revelation that some churches were in decline. These were churches that he helped establish. These were people he helped pray through. And he gets a revelation that they're in decline. Some of them have left their first love some have sin in them and some have a spirit of Jezebel some are neither hot nor cold and so on there was nothing comforting or encouraging about that at all and I, I found it interesting the first 3 chapters of revelation god speaks to the churches and there's several times that he admonishes them to repent first 3 chapters he calls the church to repent You know, our story isn't much different than the first church. They faced persecution. They faced temptation, compromise. They lived in a world that's full of corruption and sin and idolatry and morality. Some of them may be be alive corporately, but they were dead spiritually, and God told them to repent. The need to repent is universal because sin is universal. We all battle sin and temptation, so we have to find a place to repent. Repentance is vital. It's not optional. It can't be minimized or just glossed over and saved for later. And it doesn't matter where you are on your walk with God. Everyone needs to find a place to repent. And if you're young and you have limited knowledge like Josiah, if you're a mean, stubborn turkey like Paul, and repentance sounds as desirable as a root canal... Maybe you're completely blinded by your own sin until you acknowledge that you have a place to repent. You're going to stay blind. If you're mainly good but you try to conceal or justify a few things, maybe it's not adultery and murder like David, but maybe you have some things that are trying to creep their way into your heart like selfishness or self-indulgent, resentment, lying, critical spirits. Every one of us are at a different place in our walk with God, but we all meet at the same place of repentance. We are all called to repent, and I want everybody to know there's a place of repentance right here and right now. And I want to tell you that, I want to tell you what a place of repentance is not. It's not a place of shame, and it's not a place of condemnation. I'm not here to be anybody's judge, but it's a place of forgiveness. (laughs) It's a place of redemption. It's a place of deliverance from sin and from weight and from shame. There's no shame there. There's no anguish. There's no anxiety. And I, I want to close with this thought. I want to speak to anybody here who may be struggling. Maybe there's something in your life that um, that you that you you know you just need some help with. Something just ain't quite right. You're doing good, and you know you're headed the right way, but something just it's just weighing you down pulling you down something just maybe it's temptation maybe it's not so much a, a sin maybe it's temptation maybe it's a temptation to quit i don't know maybe it's doubt i have felt doubt for a while not me personally but i feel someone struggling with doubt for a while but five years ago i retweeted i retweeted something that a pastor said and if you're unfamiliar with tweeting it's um there's a social media platform called Twitter, and um, much like Facebook, but Facebook you you post things and people, and you're you're hooked to people you know. Twitter's for people you wish you knew, and and so I, I get to follow some. Yeah, you know, you feel good because hey, <laughs> I follow them. So, I retweeted, meaning that pastor had tweeted something and I liked, it, so I retweeted. Or, in Facebook world, it would be called. Sharing, yes, sharing. Okay, same, same idea. And for that five years, I promise it has stuck with me. It has stuck with me. And then this week, I ironically heard another preacher say the exact same thing. So twice I have heard this in my life, and it has stuck with me. And this is what they said. The word repent comes from a Hebrew word that means destroy the house. If you repent, you are destroying the house. And when you destroy the house, you have nothing to go back to. You're not going back there. If you've got something in your life that you want God to destroy, to get rid of once and for all, you want to say goodbye, good riddance. You need it destroyed. You need to find a place of repentance. You have to destroy the house. And I'll tell you, That if you have nothing to go back to, it's so much easier to move on forward. Amen. 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 You have a bright future. God has a calling on our lives. If He can call Paul a chosen vessel, He's got something in store for all of us. But we have to destroy it, we have to move ahead. Romans 6 and 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old man, which is our sinful nature, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. I'm going to ask you to stand. And you know I'm, I'm not good with um, the transition of just ending. I normally just say, okay, that, that's all I've got. And it is. That's, that's true. That's, that's all i got. But I wonder if you could help me end it a little bit differently, if that's okay. And I want to preach to anybody, if any of those examples meant anything, if any of you felt anything, that God may need you to repent over something, I'm, I'm, I want to pray with you. I want to help you and let you know that there is a place here to repent, that you are in a safe place, that you have a God that loves you and that wants to forgive you. And that wants to help you destroy that place that you don't have it. That you could say goodbye to those things in your life. And I just want to leave it at that. I want to leave this open to anybody that might need prayer. If you'll join me. Jesus, I love you, God.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.